Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I am sex and intimacy coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Hey friends, I'm excited about revisiting today's episode because it explores the life of a woman who grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I've talked some before about my fascination with people who've left cults, and based on her own experience, Chandra identifies the Seventh-day Adventists as a cult. For a while during the pandemic, when new podcasts flourished with all of our free time, Chandra hosted a show called Cult Evaded, where she talked about her childhood background in extreme religious environments. You can find a link to that show in the show notes. One of the things that made growing up in that group so difficult was that boys and girls were treated radically differently. Which is a great segue into this month's class on May 28th, Mars and Venus are Bullshit! We are all from the same planet. Have you bought into the idea that men and women are fundamentally different creatures? It's time to dismantle those harmful gender expectations and bridge this imaginary divide between Mars and Venus. In Mars and Venus are bullshit, we'll delve into the damaging lessons we learned about gender as children and how they continue to sabotage our adult relationships. We'll explore how gender expectations impact our interactions with the world, and I'm going to offer you a new paradigm through which to view your relationships. This class is perfect for individuals or couples, regardless of gender or sexuality. And gender expectations don't just trip up heterosexual couples. They get in the way of same-sex couples as well. Whether you're from Mars, Venus, or somewhere in between, I'm going to help you communicate better and have more fulfilling relationships. So don't miss out on this opportunity to shed the myths and start having honest conversations. This class is part of a year-long series. Other upcoming classes include Tie Me, Spank Me, Talk Dirty to Me, Part 2, Exploring Non-Monogamy, and Exhibitionism and Voyeurism. Go to leahcarry.com forward slash classes to get your ticket for the May 28th class and fall in love with your sex life in 2023. All registrations include a recording of the class, so don't miss out on this opportunity to grow and connect with others. Register today at leahcarry.com forward slash classes. Okay, back to today's episode. 
Chandra is a 29-year-old cisgender female. She grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the United States and describes herself as mixed race, including Black, White, Chinese, and East Indian. She's bisexual, single, and has no children. She said her preferred relationship style is, quote, honest, without particular parameters on what that might look like. She describes her body as average. I'm so pleased to introduce Chandra. Chandra, I am really excited to talk with you. We've met through a podcasting group, but we've had virtually no conversation on this topic. So I have absolutely no idea what stories you're bringing to the table today. And I'm very excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, let's start where I start every conversation, which is what is your first memory of sexual desire? It's kind of a jumble for me. I don't remember a specific instance coming out strongly. I more so remember curiosity Mm -hmm. and the idea that there was something more, but not knowing what it was and not being able to get a clean answer from anybody on what this mystery was. Mm. How old were you when you started having that curiosity? I was probably six. Yeah. And do you remember what kinds of questions you might have been asking? Like, what, what was your way of trying to get information from the adults around you? I asked the standard where babies come from. I remember asking a question that didn't have anything to do specifically with sex, but all of the adults avoided like the plague Mm -hmm. and I couldn't figure out why. Mm -hmm. And so it just made me more curious. I didn't really realize what I was asking though. Do you remember what that question was? I was asking about love and relationships Mm -hmm. and why people got married. And the standard, when two people love each other, came up. And I was like, oh, got it. Super clear on this. So if a man and a man like each other and they they really care about each other, they can get married. If a woman and and another woman love each other, they can get married. And all of the adults were like, panic, panic. Oh, my goodness. No, no, no. (laughs) And I was just like, I don't, I don't understand why. Yeah. And everyone was handling it with kid clubs, as it were, because they didn't want to tell me what they were leaving out. Yeah. So before we started recording, one of the questions that I always ask is if there's a religion that you grew up in that had a significant effect on you, and you did grow up in a religious community. So I assume that that has a a big impact on how people were responding to you. Absolutely. Yes. So can you tell talk a little bit about what the religion was and what the messages around sexuality were for you? Yes, I was raised Seventh-day Adventist and there was virtually no information on sex available to us growing up. Mm. It was not something that we ever spoke about which was part of the reason when it came up in this conversation everyone was so uncomfortable and afraid to talk about it Mm -hmm. but it was only spoken of in regards to being married man to woman woman to man as a couple after dating or rather courting Mm -hmm. 
but specifically that person. And it wouldn't really be talked about before that, aside from being wrong or taboo or what kind of person would, would talk about that even. Oh, so it was that shameful for you. It was very shameful. Yeah. And so was there a time at which in your growing up, people did start talking about it in order to prepare you for what to expect when you got married? Or was that just not a topic at all ever? No, I remember, well, we watched a lot of nature shows. So I understood it within the context of the animal kingdom, but we also didn't study science in the conventional terms, it was creationist science Mm -hmm. and it was very limited in scope. So I understood animals do that, but I didn't connect that to people. Hmm. And I remember in, in the history and documentaries that we watch, I remember one specific one that was talking about a queen who was very comfortable with her sexuality. And my parents freaked out and turned off the TV and told us to go straight to bed. Wow which made me even more curious because (laughs) she was married. So nothing that she did, if she was married, she couldn't do anything wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. That was the understanding that I had these things. You can only talk about when you're married, but when you're married, it's okay. So why couldn't we talk about that? Why couldn't we understand what was going on? So if you look back at that now from your adult vantage point, What's the answer to that question? Why could you not talk about it in the context of marriage? It should, in my opinion, no, that show was not appropriate for our age group. Okay. But I think that could have varied if we had been prepared with another conversation outside of the media. Mm -hmm. If we were already aware of the facts of life and procreation in general, it wouldn't have been an issue. It simply would have been historical information. Sure. So you mentioned that you studied creationism. Um, did, was there any sort of human reproduction or human biology that was included in those science lessons? No. Wow. The only time I can remember studying any form of reproduction was in high school. I was... 17 and a sophomore and we discovered we discussed how flowers reproduce and create Mm -hmm. seeds that was the first time I remember having any discussion around reproduction wow even in a classroom setting and was that a public high school or was that a church-based high school it was not church-based it was separate and independent of the conference Mm -hmm. but everyone there was of the same faith Gotcha. So it's a subject that would have been carefully avoided. Yes. Yeah. Huh. Well, in a in a strange sense as well, because we also had Purity Week at school, which was a private weekend where the boys would be separated from the girls. And each would just basically be shamed for their sexuality or any interest in it separately (laughs) so that it could be appropriate and in a nice safe container. Uh Uh-huh. So I know that um, certain Christian denominations have like purity rings and have a whole contract that they sign. What did that look like for you with this purity week in Seventh-day Adventism? At that point, I had already started experimenting 
Mm. So I knew enough to not tell anybody that I'd experimented at all. And I just kind of sat in the back and was the bad kid who laughed at everything that was going on in class and was just like, don't like trying to tell people like, hey, if you've done stuff, you don't want to tell anybody because then they're going to watch you and make sure that you're not talking to anybody that they feel you shouldn't be. It kind of put you on a separate list of people who were sexually active potentially. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's walk through the door that has just been opened. When did you start experimenting (laughs) and how did that happen for you? Individually, I was six-ish when I started to become curious of my own body. I didn't really start experimenting until I was 11. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just like, this is my body and this is interesting or curious, but I can't talk to anybody about it. So uh, just to to clarify, it sounds like around six, you became aware that there was something going on in your body. Mm-hmm. Around 11, you actually started touching your body in, That's correct. in what we would call masturbatory ways. But it sounds like you probably weren't coming to something that you would now call an orgasm at that point. Is that true? Right. Yes. And at what point did you sort of start to get a handle on how to touch yourself and in, in what ways and in what times and all of that so that it actually brought you a lot of pleasure or did you? It wasn't until I was probably 15 or 16. Mm -hmm. So during those years when you were touching yourself but not sort of not knowing what you were doing. Was it pleasurable? I think I had a lot of anxiety around it. Mm, Yeah. I felt that it was bad or that I was a freak because Mm -hmm. no one had ever mentioned that this was a thing before. Yeah. And I also had the feeling that I would get in trouble. Mm. So I couldn't ask about it. Like, Hey, am I normal? Does this happen to everyone? Am I a bad person? Am I sick? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry. That just sucks. It sucks for every little girl and every little boy who goes through that. It sounds like you had siblings. Were any of them older? Could like could you watch them and sort of take any clues from them? My sister is 15 years older than I am. So she was not in the house at this point in time. And we had, we had limited contact because my parents deemed her a bad influence Mm -hmm. and would not allow us to really communicate without supervision. Mm -hmm. And my brother was very quiet and aloof. And so I, we didn't interact or talk about stuff like that. He was very into history and subjects of that nature. So he was just kind of like, like leave me alone. Yeah. Like there was no dialogue around it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going back to what you said a minute ago about being in purity week and sitting in the back of the classroom, knowing that you had experimented. And when you said that, I assumed that you meant that you had been having sex with other people. But it sounds like when you say experimented, what you're talking about is masturbation. Initially, yes. But by the time I reached high school, I was sexually active. Okay. All right. So just the masturbation itself was so shameful that you would need to um, not let anybody know because then they'd be watching you. And then it continued from there. 
Yeah. Yes. So at what point did you start interacting with another person? I was 12. Okay. And what happened? It was not consensual. Mm. I didn't know what consent was in order to give it. Yeah. I didn't want to participate, but I also didn't know how to say no. And I knew that if I told my parents that I would be in trouble. Yeah. Was it a peer? Was it an adult? It was a peer. Well, he was three years older than I was. Mm -hmm. So kind of, but not really. Yeah. Um, The rule of thumb that I have sort of picked up, and I think that there are lots of ways that this can vary, but the rule of thumb is that when kids are, you know, playing together um, about three years is, or two and a half to three years is sort of the age spread that you would consider okay in terms of little kids playing like, I'll show you mine, you show me yours. Um, and after that, the, that age spread becomes too great because the power differential is too great. And when you're talking about 12 and 15, like, oof, that's, yeah, that's a pretty big power differential. Yes. Yeah. It was. Were you interested in something and then it went too far or were you not interested in anything and it happened anyway? I was not interested in him. I was definitely interested in something, but I was not interested in him. Mm -hmm. And how did he approach you? Like, did, did he ask you on a date? What, what happened? No, it was, he told me that we were going to be friends with benefits and. Oh, he told you, uh, did he? (laughs) Yes. Okay. And I was like, what are these benefits? And he was like, well, I'm going to teach you how to kiss. And I was like, I don't really want that. Mm -hmm. But he had something of mine. I don't, I don't now I, I suspect he took it intentionally to get me away from everyone else. Yeah. And to get it back, I had to kiss him. Mm. Yeah, that is coercion verging on assault for sure. Yeah. And did that happen more than once? Yes. Mm. In different ways. The He didn't continue to take things from me, but he socially manipulated the situation because I was the new kid and he was established. Ah. So whatever he said, that's what everyone went by. Mm-hmm. So that's another level of power differential there. Yes. Yeah. How long did this go on for? About a year. Wow. How did it end? How did it finally stop? My dad didn't, wasn't at home a lot. He worked on the road. And one time he came back and as we all lived on this campus, he came home and saw this boy riding away on his bicycle. Mm -hmm. And he asked me about it and I lied. And I said, he just came to see if my brother had something. I don't remember what I said. And he didn't push me about it, but he didn't like him nosing around the house. And I think he knew that he wasn't going to get the truth out of me. And he decided that it was not best for our family to remain there. And we moved away. Oh, wow. How did that leave you feeling? At this point, I'd become emotionally attached. So I was angry because I couldn't talk to my parents about that. and. 
he'd implied that we were at this point dating, but he was dating a a bunch of people Mm -hmm. according to him. So now I'm like, Oh, well I've been basically soiled and now I'm not going to be here to defend whatever it was. And I, I was very conflicted about it. Yeah. How far had things gone with him? He had tried to initiate sex and that was where I drew the line. And there were consequences for that. I don't remember them clearly. I just remember something happening socially afterwards. And I was like, oh. Oh, so you mean he he um, made consequences for you socially because you had said no? Yes. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. What a hell of a way to be brought into the world of adult relationships. Yes. Yeah. So your family moves away. What did this leave you feeling about yourself? You just said that you had been soiled, quote unquote. Is that something that you sort of took in and owned as an identity? Or was it something you left behind when your family moved? How did that work for you? It was strange because in one regard, I knew how people would view me externally within the church. On the other hand, at this point, I'd become a bit more rebellious within the standards of the church. Mm -hmm. So I didn't mind it that much. Mm. I started to take it on as more of a badge of honor than being bad or I wasn't a goody good anymore. And I was Mm -hmm. happy about that, but I wasn't happy about the way that it happened. Yeah. Were there other ways that you were rebelling? I had started to listen to music. (gasps) For shame. (laughs) I know it was (laughs) dreadful. I'd started watching movies. Oh my goodness. I was hiding things. I would journal not nice things about my parents. Wow. Just, you know, really living on the wild side. (laughs) You're a terrible teenager. (laughs) I was. I was dreadful. Oh, I I think I even had a little bit of makeup and nail polish at this point. (gasps) Oh, my God. (laughs) I know. It was was clear, but (laughs) how dare I? How dare you? (laughs) You're a trip. (laughs) So as high school goes on, you move to another community. I I assume you're in a different school. Um, No school for us. Oh, no school at all. No school. We were homeschooled. And I use that term very loosely because we were mostly just left at home with books. Do you want even more of my voice in your life? plus exclusive gorgeous gifts mailed directly to you, look no further than the Good Girls Talk About Sex Patreon. With my recently relaunched Patreon, you'll have access to a range of exclusive perks, including monthly voice memos, after the interview videos, and more. But that's not all. I've teamed up with my dear friends Louis and Gretchen at Shackleton and Shanks, to create stunning wood-burned gifts for patrons so you can demonstrate your support for this show and your belief that all women deserve full autonomy over every aspect of our lives. 
Today, let's talk about the $35 and $50 tiers. At both those levels, you get all the digital perks from earlier levels. You'll get a monthly voice memo from me reminding you of lessons from the world of Good Girls Talk About Sex, plus a behind-the-scenes video with most episodes. That's where, as soon as I log off an interview, I immediately turn my camera on and give you my thoughts about the conversation. You'll also get to participate in occasional polls about what type of content I should create. Beginning at the $35 level, you also can send me a voicemail with a question about your sex life, and I'm going to send you a personalized voice memo response. It's basically a mini coaching session. Also at the $35 level, you'll have good girls talk about sex with you every time you leave the house with a custom keychain. On one side is the show logo, on the other is a beautiful reminder that your vulva is your business. At the $50 level, you get all of the digital perks, plus free entry into my monthly classes. And you can choose your own necklace pendant. We've got 10 different designs, so you can choose the feminist message that speaks loudest to you. Choose between... My body is already hashtag goals. Smash the patriarchy. Aspiring bad girl. And more. Plus, 10% of all Patreon proceeds go to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are currently being legislated out of existence. Join the Good Girls Talk About Sex Patreon community today and support open and honest conversations about female sexuality. Visit patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex to see these gorgeous gifts and become a patron. At what point did you have another um, interaction with another person? I think it was a about a year from then. Mm-hmm. I want to say summer camp. I had a boyfriend and I held his hand. <gasps> I know. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> All the girls in my cabin thought that I was just so rebellious. And <laughs> <laughs> so uh, at this point, you're what? 15-ish? 14-ish maybe? Four, yeah, about 14. Yeah. Um. And did it stay at holding hands or did it go any further than that? He lived in one state and I lived pretty far from him. So we wrote each other letters until his parents found out and were like, <laughs> no, <laughs> this is very bad. Wow. Very wrong indeed. Yes. <laughs> and what happened next? I was mad at him because he he wrote me a letter breaking up with me because his parents said we couldn't date. And I was like, oh, you're just going to listen to them? <laughs> That's ridiculous. I was very careful to check the mail before my parents did. So they didn't know. They knew I had pen pals, but they didn't know that any of them were were boys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, were, did you have access to email? or No. So that was like verboten in your community? Yes. Well, we couldn't even get access to it. We lived in such a remote area. We could only get dial-up, and we didn't get that until I was 
15 or 16. Gotcha. So at what point, because I know you're no longer in the church, how old were you when you started thinking about leaving? 19. Mm -hmm. And were you still living at home at that point? At that point, I was married. Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about that. (laughs) How and when did you get married? So I went to boarding school and there was a guy there that I had kind of a conflicted relationship with. He had been dating someone else. She moved away. Was this a church school, boarding school or? Everyone there went to the church, but it was not affiliated with the conference. Okay. But it was still sort of religious in scope. Yes. Very religious. Very Mm -hmm. religious. Okay. Go on. So he was the class president. He was a senior. I was a sophomore. His girlfriend had moved away, which was strictly forbidden. And they were having issues. And out of the midst of that, he eventually broke up with her. I think one of them broke up with each other. And we started talking. And then we started dating. I realize now a lot of that was out of spite. But... (laughs) I had such limited experience with relationships. I thought this was true love. Yeah. He graduated. I didn't go back. I dropped out and took my GED and we kept dating and got married about two two years later. Did you drop out in order to be with him or was that coincidental? It was a factor, but not exclusively. Okay. I didn't want to be a 19-year-old senior. I had wanted to take my junior and senior year at the same time because it was a work-study program. And they said that they would not allow it. And I was like, well, that's, that's stupid. I've seen you do it for other people. Hmm. And they were like, yeah, you're not, you're, we're not going to do that. And I was like, cool. Well, have a nice life. <laughs> <laughs> so was there a premium in your community and your household on getting married early? Or was that some unusual? My parents got married around the same age. My mom was 19 as well. I thought it was expected. I figured I better hurry up and do it myself before they found an arranged marriage for me. Oh, was that a part of that culture? Not specifically, but I knew that my parents were very open to it. And the kind of people, first of all, our social circle was so limited. The number of people I would meet would be very small. And the people that they would have selected for me would have been not to my taste at all. Mm Mm-hmm. So I thought if I wanted to have any say in the matter, I better just hurry up and do it before they had a chance to get involved. Yeah. Had the two of you had much sexual interaction prior to being married? Yes. We lived together for a little while. It was very secretive. My parents lived near there by that point in time, and they tried to implement a curfew on me. And a lot of times I would just, it would be like several nights a week that I would stay with him. And then from there, it just increased until I completely lived there. Mm. Um, so were you, when the two of you were inter- interacting sexually, were you having pleasure? Yes, but yes and no. There were times where it was painful or uncomfortable. And there was nobody for me to talk to about that or figure out why. Mm -hmm. I became less enthusiastic the more painful it became. So it became more painful over time. 
Yes. I can hazard a guess as to why that might have been, but I'm curious if you have any ideas about why that might have been. The more emotionally abusive he became, Mm -hmm. the less I wanted anything to do with him. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I would have guessed that um, the longer you were together, maybe the less attention he paid to whether you were part of the interaction and he just went for what he wanted. Because that's, you know, that is certainly a pattern that young men can get into. Yeah. Yeah. So um, once you were married, what were you thinking? Like, I imagine that probably part of the church messaging is that once you get married, that's it. You're done. Like, you, you don't get divorced. So when things turned hard with him, what were you thinking? I was going to make it work. Mm-hmm. My grandparents were married for more than 65 years. Wow. My parents have been married for more than 45 years. I was going to make it work. Mm-hmm. What did it take for you to change your mind? I had a three strikes you're out policy. He started when we got married. I was his first, as we said before, he was not mine. He never had really a chance to experience anything outside of marriage or our relationship he'd had a girlfriend before you but they hadn't done much they hadn't had sex i don't i can't speak to how much they had experimented according to him they've never had sex Mm -hmm. okay i thought that he was frustrated because of that and i thought he needed space to experiment Mm -hmm. and since that was something that i had felt was treated like it was a taboo and it was so frowned upon for me. I thought that maybe he was experiencing the same thing. And I was like, well, do what you need to do. Just be safe and don't lie to me. So when you say experiment, do you mean go out with other people and and have sexual interactions with other people? Yes. Okay. That's very progressive-minded of you, especially given the circumstances you came out of. So um, so what happened? He started to experiment a little bit. I think he was very nervous about it. I think he wanted to see how if I was actually going to get upset or not. But he also started to lie about it. And that's when I started to get upset. I was like, when I say go experiment, if it's going to make you happier, if it's going to make you feel like a more complete person do that but don't lie to me the lying part starts to impact me and my safety Mm. so i need you to be honest and open and that wasn't the case yeah what types of lies was he telling the people he was talking to where he was meeting people if he couldn't be honest about if he was meeting someone or or anything like that then how could i trust him to be safe yeah I think that's really fair. So he actually had moved out and I was like, well, it's been three strikes and he left. So I now have justification according to the church to not have to take him back. Oh, that's interesting because he left you. Mm -hmm. Is that what the justification would be? He left me and he was unfaithful. So now I have justification 
since that still matters to my parents. Uh Uh-huh. Interesting. So you get out of the marriage with your previous husband. What happened next for you? What did you want to have a time of just being by yourself? Did you want to have a time of like being with lots of people and experimenting in lots of ways? What happened? I went off the deep end a little bit mm-hmm. for myself, for what was healthy for me. I experimented a lot. I was not very safe. I honestly don't remember that much of that time period. I worked constantly and I would meet people. And my best friend finally was like, girl, get it together. Mm. I love you. And how you want to live your life is fine. That's up to you. But you have to be conscious and aware that that's a decision that you're making, not doing it as a reaction to a situation. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, what I just heard you say was I experimented a lot and I wasn't very safe. So I, I want to dig a little bit deeper into what each of those things mean. When you say you experimented, what does that mean to you? Were you having intercourse, like penetrative sex with lots of people? Were you dating and kissing? Like how far were those things going? I was having sex with a lot of, a lot of people for me. The fact that I didn't know them well was the unsafe part. Okay. I was not careful about that. I didn't always have someone know where I was or who I was meeting. Mm. It wasn't something that was thought out. Mm. And it wasn't all the time, but it whenever I did meet someone, it wasn't okay, I'm going to let my best friend know that I'm out with this person. Here's their license plate number. Here's a tracker on my phone. I didn't think those kinds of things through. That wasn't, that didn't factor into the decision. And when you say it was a lot of people for you, what are we talking? Six people in six months. Okay. I always feel like when somebody gives a number, I always feel like I'm supposed to respond to that in some way. And there's no way to respond because, you know, the number is just a number, but it helps me to understand how you feel about yourself and your actions. So there's no judgment on that number from me. (laughs) How do you feel about it now looking back? I don't feel like it was me. That's not the way that I have relationships. I know a person better. I'm comfortable with a person socially. There's an aspect of just generally liking who a person is. And I didn't have that. I didn't have the awareness to like who another person was. I didn't like who I was. Yeah. If it had been a conscious decision, if I was like, wouldn't it be fun if I hooked up with a new person every month? I think Uh that's a very different headspace from what I was in. That's fair. I don't pass judgment on myself for that time period. Mm -hmm. I was in a lot of emotional pain and I wasn't capable of making healthy decisions for myself. Mm -hmm. And how I responded to that was to act out in the only way that was familiar to me. I really appreciate the fact that you have grace for yourself in that way. Yeah. You mentioned to me that you're bisexual. So at what point did women or other genders come into the picture for you? I think it was six or so. Oh, so this I, has been a long standing thing. <laughs> yeah. I okay. 
that I would say that would fall into the experimentation phase when I didn't know what I was doing. I, I, I never really think about it that way because it was my first consensual experience, but I also didn't know what consent was, but I wasn't mad about it. <laughs> okay. How old were you? <laughs> you I was, was six or well, no, I think I was eight, maybe, maybe I was eight. And was this like a, a girl in your community who you just, we were, we were yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were friends and there was no label on it. There was not really any jealousy or anything like that. We were just friends and we were just like, Hey, what's this about? <laughs> How often did it happen? Just whenever we could hide from adults. Mm-hmm. So you knew it was something that needed to be hidden. Yes. Yeah. And how far did things go? Just touching and general curiosity of like, Mm -hmm. hey, look at this. What's that? (laughs) Do you have this too? I have that too. (laughs) (laughs) And so once you started dating men, Mm -hmm. were you still thinking about that experience with a little girl or did men sort of take over your field of view for a long time? Yeah. More so men taking over my field of view. It's also harder to date women. Amen to that. (laughs) (laughs) But what do you mean by that? (laughs) In the area in which I live, it's, there are people, but I think they're maybe not as open the dating pool is pretty limited, even if you are specifically interested in men. Women are just more complicated as far as figuring out what are they looking for? What do they want? It's more ambiguous. I always think it's hilarious when heterosexual women say, it would just be so much easier if I were interested in women. <laughs> <laughs> would it though? Would it though? <laughs> Oh, goodness. Yeah. So have you, have you had adult experiences with women? Very few. Mm -hmm. Mostly because of that limited dating pool and just the amount of energy that it takes to date women. I haven't tried that hard. Yeah. Is it something that you want more of? or Are you okay with it being in the background? I'm okay with it being in the background right now. Yeah. And so what is your current dating slash sexual life look like right now? I haven't been dating a lot in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. I've been very focused on some side projects. I write fiction. I read a lot. I'm very focused with work and just some of the experiences that I've had as far as dating in the last probably five years have been either traumatic or stressful. Hmm. And I've just been like, well, I have work to do. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Let me just focus on that. Do you miss it? Do you miss having a relationship? Right up until I start dating again. And then the complications start to come back. Hmm. And I think about well, do I want to reorganize my bathroom to make space for another person? <laughs> you can have that really high shelf that I can't reach. <laughs> I need all of this counter space, every bit oh, of it. Of course. <laughs> and this is when I get up in the morning 
And I don't like to talk for the first three hours of the day. (laughs) Yeah. And so are you, how are you getting your touch needs met? Given that we are recording in the midst of the pandemic, um, if you don't have a partner and you don't, I assume, live with somebody, um, how are you getting your touch needs met? I don't. I don't really think about it that much. I find the most, when I think about it the most, is usually when I am hormonal. And then I have systems in place to handle my emotions. That's probably the hardest part for me. But also, I've never really liked to be touched that much. Okay. When I am hormonal, usually I'm like swaddled in a blanket with ice cream or chocolate. And I'm like having a good cry about it. Mm -hmm. And that's when I want to hug. But the rest of the time, I'm kind of like, eh, this is okay. So you're a person with a, a fairly low touch need just on an everyday basis, it sounds like. Yes. Yeah. All right. And do you masturbate now? Sometimes it's much more mood based. Mm-hmm. I've found that as I've been single or at least living more so alone for the last five years, the amount of time I spend thinking about that has decreased a lot just because it's not accessible. And I've realized all the steps that I would have to go through in order to have someone around more frequently. And like I said, the that for me is much more related to emotional connection and actually liking a person. And I, the effort. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, this is, this is probably fine. Yeah. So when you look into the future, do you imagine wanting to have a long-term partner or do you think you'll be happy being single? It could go either way. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing that I would want to be different about it is that I've always wanted children, mm-hmm. which is very strange because I'm self-described like ogre <laughs> when it comes to people. <laughs> Uh (laughs) So I'm like, why would I want children? Nevertheless, I do. Okay. And so I think about it within that context. But I also, from my relationships and the way that I grew up, I realized the biggest thing that I could give to my children is a supportive parent other than myself. Mm. And I feel like I'm not in a position to give that. So it's, if that's not something that I can give to my children, then I don't think I would have any. I'm, I might consider adoption, but I don't think I would necessarily have biological children mm-hmm. for those reasons. Sure. Do you struggle with how your body looks during sex? You're not alone. Growing up as little girls, most of us learned that our worth was entirely tied to how we look. We saw TV shows and movies and fashion magazines that showed a very narrow range of bodies, and we were told that those were the perfect, desirable bodies. The message, if you don't look like that, you're not worthy of love. But here's the not-so-secret secret. They're lying. There are people who want to love you in the body you're in today. I promise they want 
to see your body. They want to touch your body. They want to worship your body. I promise. But even if a person is already touching you, if you don't believe you're worthy of their time, attention, affection, you'll never let yourself relax enough to enjoy it. And you deserve to relax. You deserve to let yourself be seen and touched and worshipped. You deserve to experience pleasure without thinking about how much your arms jiggle. You deserve to have sex in any position you want, not just the one where you think you look the thinnest. Would you tell your daughter or sister or best friend that they don't deserve love because they don't look like Kim Kardashian? Of course not. So let's do something to help you stop saying that to yourself. I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life. And I would be honored to be your coach on the journey to get there. I'm queer, kinky, and non-monogamy friendly, and I would love to talk with you. So for more information and to schedule your free discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching for your free discovery call. That link is in the episode description on the app you're listening on now. Back to the show. As you've recounted it, it does not sound like there's been a lot of sexual pleasure in your life. And I want to check in with you and see if that sounds correct to you. Or if we just sort of missed those stories. I think we missed some of those stories. Okay. There were some after my divorce. I had some some good times and some caring partners. Mm-hmm. But it in the grand scheme of my life, it didn't it wasn't the most fulfilling thing. Something you said before we started recording really caught my attention and I want to ask you more about it. When I asked you what your preferred relationship style is and, you know, the sort of standard answers that I roll off for people, because a lot of people don't even know what that means, um, is monogamous, open, polyamorous, et cetera. And you took a moment to think about it and you said, my preferred relationship style is honest. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> and hearing some of your story, it's it has made a lot of sense to me that you would say that, but I'm really curious to hear from you exactly what that means to you. The style of relationship would depend a lot on the partner mm-hmm. and what their needs are because I'm so flexible within that. I've been monogamous. I've been in an open relationship. I've dated someone who's polyamorous jealousy is something that I don't feel maybe in the same way a lot of people do mm-hmm. and I'm comfortable with working through it if I do feel it so to say I would prefer one to the other I feel even in a monogamous relationship you can still feel jealousy sure and perhaps it's more frightening to me within the monogamous relationship because I don't think there's always that open container and safe space to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I've found that there's a lot more of emphasis on consent and each individual's 
comfort level within the polyamorous community. Not as much in open relationships. I find that a lot of open relationships can be very secretive as well. Mm-hmm. And that's why I put the focus on honesty. Because if everyone is honest about how they feel and what they need out of a relationship, there's a lot of workroom. Mm-hmm. And there's the opportunity to say, this isn't good for me anymore. And if that's the case, you can step away and still have good friendships because you don't go through all of these things that end up fragmenting the relationship because it was held on to for too long. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I think you're so right. I learned most of what I know about consent and communication within the polyamorous community because it is so vital in that community. Um, And that doesn't mean that Everyone has to play in those waters. I mean, I am not polyamorous, but um, but the lessons I've learned there are are basic to what I now do. Just yes. the absolute core of it. Yeah. How do you wish your religious upbringing had been different or had better prepared you? Maybe that's the better way to say it. How do you wish your religious upbringing had better prepared you for being a sexual adult? The two biggest things that stick out to me are consent Mm -hmm. and comfortability. I'm not even so much concerned with pleasure or anything like that. I think that people should know if sex is painful, there are things that can be done. There's conversations that need to be had. There are real life reasons aside from medical conditions that can cause there to be pain. Mm -hmm. And the more comfortable you are, the more likely you are to have pleasure. And I think that's one reason it was avoided within the context of the church. As far as consent I think it's very important that both boys and girls are taught consent at an early age. It wasn't taught to me. It wasn't taught to any of the people around me. My ex-husband and I had a conversation early in our marriage where I had to explain to him that spousal rape was a real thing. Mm, Yeah. Not because he was a bad person, but because religiously, there's a text that would be quoted to basically say, you can't deny your husband for any reason. And I don't know how he feels about it now, but I feel like that's not a wife's job to communicate that I can say, no, I'm allowed to say no, Mm -hmm. but I also had to learn that and be able to share it because it's not something that anyone ever said to me. Yeah. Yeah. What is a question or concern you have about your sex life or about sex in general? I don't know that I have a lot of questions. It might be more so in the moment where I'll be like, let me go Google that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh I'm the one friend who will Google literally anything. My personal FBI agent must be so traumatized because (laughs) (laughs) between the fact that I'm a writer and I'm naturally intuitive. I've Googled so many chaotic things. Yeah. <laughs> and I've found that whatever whatever your question is, whatever you're thinking or feeling about it, there's someone who's experienced something along those lines. I've actually found more so that 
my friends will be like, have you ever heard of this? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's totally normal. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Let me just explain to you what this is. It's totally fine. (laughs) You would be a great friend to have. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Maybe I traumatize them a little bit, but I I get a slight kick out of that. (laughs) And now it's time for the lowdown. The things we're dying to know, but would usually be too polite to ask any good girl. Do you have sex during your period? Yes. What's the approximate number of sex partners you've had? 17. Have you ever had sex with someone of a different racial identity than your own? Yes. Kind of hard not to. (laughs) (laughs) so you're uh well right because you are a mix of all of the things (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's hilarious (laughs) do you have a favorite sex toy yes what is it i don't remember what it's called Uh, i had a friend who worked at amazon and was like you know you can order stuff off of amazon i was like what so I went and looked on there and there's one that has like a suction cup on it. Oh yeah. Thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like that, that's the one I want that one. The sucker is a brilliant innovation in the world of women's Ooh. sex toys. Whoever made that should get like a Nobel peace prize. Right. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite sex position? It depends on the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how I find, however, the partner's most comfortable can be a lot more fun. Also depends on how tired I am. (laughs) (laughs) Do you prefer to initiate or for your partner to initiate in the bedroom? It depends. Sometimes I'm just in moods where I like don't want to be touched at all. Mm -hmm. And so then it's kind of, that's a little stressful. I find if the partner's not aware of that. If I'm in a good mood and I'm not like focused on something or tired or something like that, then I don't have a preference. Are you generally more active or more passive during lovemaking? I would say it's 50-50 and it also does depend on the person. Mm-hmm. Do you prefer clit stimulation or penetration? 50-50. Do you enjoy having your breasts played with? Depends on if I'm hormonal, then no, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm pretty like clear about that in advance. Like <laughs> <laughs> the um, wrong time of the month. <laughs> people can't see the face you just made, but it was priceless. <laughs> <laughs> but during other times of the month, you enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you think it's generally easy or challenging for you to orgasm? It's generally easy. Have you ever faked an orgasm? Nope. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) Can you orgasm from intercourse alone without additional stimulation? Yes. Do you prefer the orgasm from masturbating or from sex with another person? It depends on the person. Hmm. What kind of touch do you enjoy most? That really depends as well. I feel like I'm... If, if I'm like, just, if I'm wanting to be like cuddly, then very gentle, but then sometimes I like it to be a bit more aggressive and more rowdy. Mm-hmm. 
What are your hard red lines? The things you absolutely don't want to do? Like anal to mouth. um, That's hard. And I will not touch anyone's butt. Well, I should be more specific, but whole, not for me. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. When you say anal to mouth, you mean somebody taking their penis out of your anus and putting it in your mouth? Yeah. Never going to happen. That's just dangerous. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So it sounds like anal sex is on or anal penetration is on the table for you to receive, but you don't give anal touch. That's correct. Okay. Great. Anything else? Um, I, I have a general thing of I'll try anything once or we can talk about it at the very least. And mm-hmm. I won't pass a judgment, but it also does depend on the person. Are there sexual things you've tried that you don't ever want to do again? No, I'm really surprised by that. Wow. <laughs> How do you feel about a partner masturbating without you being present? It's their body. They should be able to enjoy it too. How do you feel about your partner watching porn? As long as it's not excessive. When I say excessive, it doesn't interfere with our sexual relationship. Mm -hmm. And you'd be okay with various kinds of content. Whatever they are into. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, Do you enjoy watching porn? Sometimes. but. It's probably 50 50. Mm-hmm. It's not very often for me. What types of porn do you enjoy? I usually go, I'll watch anything once as well. Like, <laughs> so sometimes it's like out of morbid curiosity. I'm like, I'm, I'm not interested in this, but I'm curious. Mm. And it's not something I would ever want to do, but I still want to know. Mm-hmm. So I can't put Google down. <laughs> do you have hair down there or are you bare it depends i prefer to be bare sometimes you know just pandemic situations and like i I used to wax everything all the time and Uh when the pandemic hit then i totally stopped Mm -hmm. so now i'm like headed back in that direction because i was like this is awful i don't know how i live like this this is very uncomfortable (laughs) for me Have you ever had a threesome or more? No, it's on the list, but that, that goes back to, I've got to like everybody. Sure. Sure. We've got to get you to come out here to Portland. I will, I will take you around. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. I'm booking my trip now. Okay, good. (laughs) Maybe wait until the pandemic is over though. (laughs) This is, this is a good point. I keep forgetting about that. Um, do you enjoy giving blowjobs? Yes. When you do, do you swallow or not? Yeah, I I do. Mm -hmm. Do you enjoy receiving oral sex? Sometimes. It can be a little uncomfortable because I tend to have more anxiety about that. So if I'm more comfortable with with a person, then yes. Do you ever worry about your smell or taste? Not really. That's their problem. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's interesting because often when women say they have anxiety, it's about their smell or taste. So when you say that you sometimes have anxiety, what is that about? I'm always nervous that I'm going to pee. 
Okay. Do you feel like you're going to pee when you have oral sex? Sometimes. And have you ever squirted? Yes. So you're, are you familiar with the difference of how pre-squirting feels versus pre-peeing for you? Yes. It's not even, so this is where it gets really complicated. Okay. I don't like messes. Uh-huh. So it's from that, like, I'm, I'm completely aware of what's happening. Okay. And I'm fine with that. It's the mess that stresses me out. Gotcha. I'm like, this is, the, oh gosh, this is going to be really messy. <laughs> <It's not laughs> even good All right. So what I would suggest is you go on Amazon and get a package of Chucks <laughs> and just put them down <laughs> and then you can just throw it away when it's over and there's no mess. This is a solid plan. <laughs> <laughs> Probably could have Googled that. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Um, Let's see. What do you consider the kinkiest thing you enjoy with the understanding that everybody's scale of kink is totally different? I don't know. I'll try. I'll try so much stuff. And it's hard to say if I enjoy it or the novelty. Mm -hmm. of like this is something different and so that was fun and exciting Mm -hmm. or is it that I genuinely enjoy this thing Mm -hmm. because I I feel like I've just tried a lot of stuff and of course it's different with each partner so one thing that might be really fun with one person is not so much fun with somebody else or you know it makes it hard to tell I, I don't think I can really honestly decipher the difference at this point that's fair yeah um do you enjoy dirty talk during sexual encounters not really. I, maybe I write too much to enjoy that. <laughs> I'm like, what did you just say? <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not judging or criticizing, but you could have maybe like we could rewrite that. <laughs> you could try again. <laughs> <laughs> Do you enjoy laughter during sexual encounters? Yes. I think if I'm comfortable with a person, there will be laughter. And if there's not, that's probably a good sign that I shouldn't be having sex with that person. I like that. Um, Have you ever felt a sexual urge that confused you? Yes. What was that? It was something around rape, which I was very confused about. I was like, why would I be like into that? That's, Mm -hmm. that's confusing. So are you, are you clear now that that's actually super common and completely normal? Yes. I feel like it's not very talked about though. It's not talked about the, it used to be called a rape fantasy. That language has shifted now to be more like a ravishment fantasy. Um, Or some people will talk about it as consensual Mm non-consent and um there are lots of reasons for it, and and I'm certainly not going to say, well, this is what happened to you that will make you feel this way. But I can say that it's very common for people who have felt like there's they're somehow out of control, like they don't have primary control over their ability to consent, mm-hmm. to then later want to play that same scenario out in a way where they do have consent. So I will play out this 
non-consensual experience I had with a partner who I trust, where I know that if I safe word, they will stop. Yeah. And that ends up allowing people to really, some people to reorient their own uh, their brains and their own memories and start to create some new neural pathways. I also should say that it's not always people who have some sort of trauma in the background. Th- th- we have a lot of messaging in our culture that shows us non-consensual experiences that are meant to look very sort of you know, romantic and gauzy. And if he really loves you, then he can come after you for years. And when you finally give in, then it will be beautiful. So like, there are lots of reasons that could happen, but it's totally common and totally normal. I think that's one of the things that you see in fiction that as I've gotten older, I've, I've found that, but at the same time, it's very interesting to see the way, the context in which I'm comfortable with it and the context in which I'm not comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. I, um, I used to be a really avid reader and then I went to, my mom got sick and I was her caretaker and I went through a period of extreme stress and I stopped reading and I've over the last year started reading again and went back to some of my favorite authors from the past and discovered that I can't read them anymore because their their romance, their sexiness is so based in non-consent that becomes consensual. Uh, Sandra Brown is the one that I just, I can't even stand now. It makes my skin crawl because almost every one of her relationships starts out with the characters disliking each other. And at some point the man pinning the woman up against the wall and being like, I'll take what I want. And then at some point she's like, I'll just give it to you. (laughs) And then it becomes a great love story and it's gross. Yes, it is. (laughs) I started reading romance more so because I've typically avoided that genre. And I think it was the dark Prince series there was a book for free, so I was going to read everything up to that point to get the free book, you know, <laughs> as one does. And I started off on the first book, and I think I got in two or three chapters, and I was like, I can't do this. Yeah. Free book or no, I'm not I'm not reading this series. Yeah. Well, that took us off on a long tangent. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite part of your body? I like my legs. I have good legs. What's your least favorite part of your body? My stomach. It's not that I'm uncomfortable with it. I'm very critical of it, though. Mm. And I don't like to do crunches, but I'm still critical of it. You don't need to do crunches. <laughs> if I, I've always had the opinion of if I dislike it enough, I have the awareness to know that I could do something different. I could know have a tummy tuck or work out a lot or whatever but I like food more than I like abs so I'm there with you on that one um what is something about your current sex life that isn't as satisfying as you'd like it to be I would say I don't really have one right now Mm. what belief did you have about sex as a child or teenager that you wish you could go back and correct her on now as a child, I didn't realize that I could say no mm. at any point. Mm-hmm. They no always had consequences, and if I'd known that it shouldn't, 
And that if I was finding, hey, I said no, or I'm not comfortable with this, and there was still consequences, that there were people I could talk to who could help me in those situations. Yeah. Chandra, we have done it. This has been amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. I would love for people to know where they can find you. So please tell us who you are and and what you do. My name is Chandra Arthur. My podcast is Cultivated, where I talk about more about my childhood background and extreme religious environments, specifically in home church and self-supporting ministries. And you can find me anywhere that you listen to podcasts, Google Play Store, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any of those, we are there. Terrific. And we'll put information in the show notes so people can find you that way. Chandra, thank you so much. I really appreciate how open you've been. This has been a real delight. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for today. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As a sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. If you have questions or comments about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Full show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. And you can follow me at goodgirlstalk on the socials for more sex positive content. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. While listening to this show is free, producing it is not. If my work is meaningful to you and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I'll gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Good girls talk about sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Laura O'Connor. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. <laughs>